All right, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, 1 John 5. Next week we will finish out 1 John, but we have some things that the Apostle wants us to remind ourselves this morning. So whether you brought your Bible or phone or tablet or however you use it, be engaged this morning in the Word. There is... uh, There is a segment within the Christian religious community. I'm being very careful the way I say it because um, they would identify themselves as progressive Christians. And there's nothing progressive. It's regressive, if anything. But, But, you know, sometimes in the past, in church history... They might have been referred to as liberal Christianity. And essentially, you know, there's not a headquarters for it. There's not a, a printing house that they use or anything like that. But it, it's kind of a, a general idea that is based upon some presuppositions. The Bible is not really God's word. It might become God's word if you have some existential experience with it. But it's not God's word. Therefore, it can be subject to the normal critical methods that we would evaluate any other document or history. We don't presuppose that Jesus was divine. You know, it was the desires of the apostles that wanted to give him uh, attributes that he never claimed to have, like the resurrection and being God, etc., etc. So it denies really the presupposition of any supernatural concept of of the miracles, or et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that has become uh, somewhat, I say, popular, you know, uh, there's really, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? It just gets repackaged. But today, and all through 1 John, John has been constantly reminding us about some things that we should be certain about. He's wanting to give us assurance. The title that I put to this series called Without a Doubt because, you know, as Christians, we will struggle with doubt, struggle with assurance. That's kind of normal. And so John the Apostle is writing this letter that we've spent, I don't know, 16, 17 weeks or so looking at uh, to give assurance or confidence to our faith. Now, the progressive idea of progressive Christianity, they would say that one of the problems with modern traditional evangelicalism is this idea that we would hold to certain truths or any truths with any kind of certainty. They would say that's been the problem, that, uh, that there really is no certainty when it comes to the Bible, the nature of God, uh, the accuracy of the New Testament, heaven, hell, but that, uh, that we, have, we have kind of, uh, we are misleading people in this thought or this idea that there is a surety and that the real way that we should uh, approach Christianity or to pursue a new kind of Christianity that is more adaptable to the culture is to be realistic, and instead of embracing certainties, 
things that we know, we need to embrace mystery. We need to embrace unknowingness, that we really can't know anything. And that in of itself is the spiritual journey. We're just, we're just kind of floating along, and we really never know much of anything, can never be certain of anything, really can never be certain of any kind of what is true and what is not true. And if you're, you know, if you're aware of some of these things, you realize there's terms like they'll talk about the postmodern culture, that everything is relative. There's no, there's no absolutes of truth. What is truth, as Pilate you remember Pilate, he was the first postmodern, I guess. What is truth, you know? And, uh, and so this idea that Christianity shouldn't approach and hoist upon anybody any kind of absolute certainties of fundamentalist dogma, but we should all be just sojourners and searchers and to embrace mystery, whatever that means, okay? Well, that seems to be somewhat contradictory from the approach the Apostle John takes in uh, 1 John as well as the New Testament because there's things that the Apostle John is very certain about. It won't be on your screen, I don't think, but look in your Bibles over to chapter 1, verse 1. This is, this is somebody who is very certain about some things when he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, that's, that is language of an individual who is really certain about what he's getting ready to write about, that, look, we've, we've heard, we've seen, we've touched. We are absolutely certain about these truths, about these things that we are going to write. In uh, chapter 2, verse 3, should be on the screen, for by this we, we know, that's certainty, that's that's the language of certainty. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Now, depending on the translation you might use, there's roughly 40 uh, references or 40 times the word know, K-N-O-W, is used in 1 John. So John, the apostle, would totally reject this idea that we should embrace mystery, he would say, to the contrary, there are aspects that we can be very certain about and that we can know with certainty. That's the whole point of why he wrote in 1 John 5, 13. He says, I write these things to Christians, to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? Not that you just would embrace the mystery of wondering the existence of God or whether I'm a father. No, that you would know. I'm writing. I'm putting these things down to kind of just reiterate that, that you would know. And that's why he could say in verse 15 that it's because we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know. You see it again? We know. That's certainty that... Our requests are heard by him and what we should ask. So, as I've said that, if you've uh, been along in this, uh, in this uh, journey of 1 John, that John and his style is different than Paul. Paul's very linear, very legal in his way he writes things. That's why, you know, people like myself like to teach Pauline epistles. John has certain concepts or ideas 
And he just kind of keeps circling the wagon. He kind of keeps bringing it back around. He kind of keeps reemphasizing. He just kind of keeps reiterating and reminding. So as the Apostle John is circling the runway, hello? He's circling the runway. The tower has said you're cleared for landing. He wants to go around one more time and remind about some things that he has covered uh, in somewhat detail in these five chapters. So this morning, I encourage you to look to 1 John 5, and this morning we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Verses 18 through 20, and the next week we'll finish with the very last verse of verse 21. Look with me at verse 18. We know, John writes, the Word of God We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we, remember his audience, they're believers, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Do you hear anything about embracing mystery in that language? You know, in fact, if you have have your, your Bible or highlight on your tablet, I would just mark every time he says, we know, we know, we know. Because that's a key when you start studying the Bible uh, you know, you need to mark out just phrases that get repeated. You get an idea. Maybe the author's trying to tell me something here. You know, the Holy Spirit's trying to convey something. So this morning, the title is This We Know. This We Know. And uh, John wants us to be certain about these important, certain truths that he has gone over again and again, and he's just going to kind of compartmentalize them and what I would say three pillars, three confidence pillars in these uh, three verses, three confidence pillars of our Christian faith that are based upon what he has already given us. And there's just three words, to, those of you who take notes, you can write down and follow along easily, and they're just three words to help us kind of hang our thoughts around what John, the apostle, is desiring to convey through the Word of the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, why don't we ask the author to help us. Amen? Amen. Father, we just pray your Holy Spirit guide us this morning. We thank you for your infallible, inerrant, without error, without contradiction word that you have given us. That when we read these words, when we read verses 18 through 20, we are literally hearing the voice, the words of God. Lord, may we commit ourselves to be good hearers, good listeners, and be committed to be good doers of the Word. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one in verse 18 is the word power. Power. We know, these are all we we know, we know the certainty of God's power to overcome sin In our daily life. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not 
touch him. Now, John just explained previously, uh, and we didn't look at these verses, but uh, because again, it kind of was repetitive. But John just explained in verse 17 where he said, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin, there is a sin that does not lead to death. He said, There is a sin that leads to death, meaning uh, ultimate spiritual death, but he said, But there is also sins that in of themselves don't necessarily lead to death for the believer, but nevertheless, it's still sin. And he's not wanting uh, his, what he calls his little children. Remember, uh, John is aged. He's, a, he's an older man now on the island of Patmos, uh, where he is uh, actually not here. That's in Revelation. He'll be uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. But as he writes this, he is, uh, he is older, and so I love the way that he's very pastoral, and he calls them his little children, his little children. You'll know that I'm getting older around you when I start, you know, calling you, uh, you know, my little children, my little children, and then you'll be ready to call the nursing home to come help me out there. But um, notice in verse 18, because we always kind of have to kind of go over this a little bit, and I just want to reiterate, you can go back and listen where we dug down a little more detail. Where he says in verse 18, he says, he's talking about, he said, not everyone who has been born of God uh, does not keep on sinning. Verse 18 uh, is speaking of the, someone, he said that it's antithetical, it's, it doesn't make sense that for the, for the person who claims to have been born again, the Spirit of God, that their life is characterized by a continual, perpetual sinning, okay? It does not, he's not saying that we do not sin. And we, again, we've, we've covered that. But he means that a person who is genuinely born again, a genuine child of God, and that's what he's been drilling down on constantly, those tests, those evidences that he looked at in chapter 1 about you know, how we can understand that and have that assurance that we belong to God. What he says is that no genuine child of God, born again, person will live, listen to my language carefully, will live in a perpetual lifestyle of disobedience to God's revealed will that is shown in the scriptures. That's the will of God. How do we know the will of God? We don't pay somebody to tell us. No, we have the will of God. Does it, is that we looked at last week? Does it tell you whether to buy a Ford or a Chevrolet or a Kia? No, but it will tell you to use stewardship and judgment and principles but everything we need, the Bible even tells us that we need for righteous living, God has given to us, all right? So when God's revealed will in his word is that we, we understand it, we discover it as we grow as believers, and we say, okay, this is not pleasing to God. This, what I'm doing, how I'm acting, how I'm living, this is not pleasing to God, so therefore I need to get in alignment, I need to, it's my favorite word, uh, somebody uh, always wants to see if I can work in in every sermon, uh, we need to calibrate, right, to God's will, right? We need to calibrate to God's will. We need to get in sync to God's will. So his, his premise is that those are, who are born again, born of God, will not sin because God's seed abides in them. You remember it's, I don't think I put this on the screen, but you can just look back in your Bible to chapter 3, verse 9, uh, or maybe it is. No one born of God 
No one who is born again makes a, look at the language, makes a practice of sinning, okay? You, you, you know, I, I just want to keep pushing that because some people might think the idea that John is, is giving or the Word is giving this unrealistic idea that Christians will never sin. I can tell you based on firsthand experience, hello, that is not true, all right? And again, why would 1 John 1.9 be there that we need to ask the Father to, when you do sin, you ask for forgiveness, you ask God's cleansing. So I think we've kind of established that pretty good. But, but the reason that he wants to, again, remind us about this power that we have is because when a person is born again, when a person uh, receives the new life of Christ, it is not just an intellectual move from one theoretical, philosophical view of life to another. There is a shift in thinking. We have the mind of Christ. We see things differently. But it is transformative in its very nature. Something happens. Something takes place. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's transformative. Jesus used the uh, example of a tree is known by its fruit. You know, a tree doesn't always blossom overnight, just like as Christians, but hopefully that as we timeline, we see God's grace and mercy working in our life, that as we grow, as we move further down the road, we say, you know, those things, those attitudes and those habits that I had back here, how I would have responded to this situation, how I would have just bit that person's head off, I just kind of said, oh, well, well, that's okay, we'll figure it out. Now you're like, what happened? Well, I believe and I hope that it's the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ that are working in your life, right? And sometimes when those things happen and we snap at somebody or we react or we just have a lousy attitude, it's a reminder that, you know what, I need to let those graces, all right? doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean I'm not born again, okay? So keep in mind is that John is saying that the new birth has a result, It's that the Christian is living and their trajectory, their walk is in a righteous life. Keep this in mind. Our perfection, listen, our perfection is in Christ. We are united to his perfection. Any perfection I have, it's because he is perfect, right? Okay, so whatever perfection I benefit from in my life, whatever fruit, if you will. It's because of his perfection. So while true believers, Christians, we will fall, we do fall into sin, John has over and over reminded us that the believer won't be living indefinitely in that sin. Well, how long? How short? How long? Well, I don't know. But if, you know, a person who has genuinely had an experience, and a transforming uh, work of Christ, uh, then we can have the confidence of knowing that they will not remain. They can't remain, according to Scripture. And if they do, if they live their entire life in total you know, rejection and rebellion of what they once professed, 
Well, the one hand, we don't know ultimately what took place in those moments before they died, but with that aside, it, it only, I mean, what, how do we handle that? It just, on our side, without knowing what God knows, it just affirms that that person might have had a lot of, a lot of spark, a lot of good beginning. They may have been educated, might have even been a pastor. You know, it doesn't matter. But it's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. If a pig falls into a mud hole, he'll do what is in his nature to do. He'll wallow in it. He's not going to try to get out of it because that's his nature. He likes it. But if a sheep falls into a mud hole... They want to get out of that thing as quickly as possible. They want to avoid that hole. Why? Because that that sheep has a different nature. They they don't want to be walling around in the mud. The same is true with a follower of Christ. We're not going to be comfortable. God will not allow us. You know why? Because the Bible says we belong to Him. God not only purchases us, but He watches over what He owns. And there's been situations that you have been in, that I have been in, and the Holy Spirit's just made you miserable till you got out of that thing. And it could be all over the, the place from one extreme to the other, but it was that work of the Holy Spirit. Remember what verse 24 says of chapter 3? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and look at this, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Remember back in verse 24? You need to flip it back. I don't have it on the screen. It says that we know that he abides in us. We know, there it is again, certainty. How can we be certain that I belong to him? Because the Holy Spirit that he has given to us confirms that I belong to him. And that's really good Because there's a lot of times that I wake up and I don't feel like I belong to him. The Holy Spirit says, yes, you do. And that's why you need to base your your thinking upon the objective truth of the Word of God and not how you feel. Feelings will deceive you. Feelings will deceive you. But that's why we need to say, I feel this way, but God, I'm going to anchor my emotions and my thoughts to your sure, certain word. That's why, again, just a side note, that's why when you look at Christian movements over time, you can always trace it back to one fundamental step they will take. And that's when there is an abandonment of the word of God as the word of God. It is a word about God. It's no different than the Bhagavad Gita or the Koran or whatever it is. But no, this is the unique will of God that is without error, without uh, contradiction. Are the things you don't understand? Absolutely. The things I don't understand? Yeah, absolutely. But when it speaks about God, when it speaks about Christ, when it speaks about knowing the way to God, it is absolutely truthful. When it speaks about who I am in Christ, it is absolutely truthful. And I need to anchor my heart and my mind to the Word of God and not to the the constant 
loss of balance in my life. All right. That was free. But look at verse 18, something else there under this power. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Believe the second part, but he, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, if you have a uh, King James or New King James, you'll notice there's a difference there. It will say, he who has been born of God keeps himself. And if you probably notice in your margins or whatever, you'll see a footnote that shows you that there, in the Greek, there's an alternative uh, legitimate reading there. Uh, most, uh, as far as more of the more updated versions like the New American Standard, NIV, ESV, etc., etc., and people who study this out uh, would, would say, I don't think they would say that's not really exactly what John is communicating, uh, even though the Bible does say over and over again that we have a responsibility to keep ourselves from sin. In fact, the next verse that we'll look at next week John says, keep yourself from idols, okay? So it's not contradicting that. But I think that the ESV and other uh, more updated translations, I think, emphasize it this way, that the emphasis is on God protecting us and not we ourselves doing it, okay? Uh, and so John seems to be focusing that our focus, the power to say no to sin, to say to walk in righteousness is, 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 thankfully, is that Christ is the one who keeps us. But he who was born of God, God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. That's what John is trying to get across. Look at uh, verse uh, 18 in the New Living Translation. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, Look at this, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Aren't you glad God holds your life together? That's what Colossians 1 says, that Christ holds all things together, all right? Not just the worlds and the universe, but God, Christ holds my life together. And it is Jesus himself who makes available to us his power that we have victory over those continual sins in our life. God has given us that power. And then the last part of verse 18 says that the evil one does not touch us. Interesting that the word touch uh, indicates not just something of a supernatural touch, like I'm going to, I'll touch something, but it, but it really could mean to lay hold of. Now think about that. It means that uh, the evil one cannot lay hold of us. That would have been a good place to say amen, all right? That the evil one cannot lay hold of us. We are not in his clutches. Another interesting way that that word has been used in the New Testament also can be used to set a blaze or to make a fire, setting fire to something. Think with me, that Satan cannot set you on fire and burn you down out of the purposes of God, he cannot harm you eternally. Why? Because we belong to God. We can be certain of that. And that should be of great comfort that God protects us. You know the story of Job? 
Satan was limited. But I think of the Apostle Peter. I think of something Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But oh, thank God for the rest of the verse. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Aren't you glad for the intercession of Christ, the protection of Christ, that our faith doesn't fail? Why does it not fail? Because we've read, because we've written, read a certain amount of theology books and we've memorized a lot of script. All those things are great helps and means. But when it comes down to it, what keeps us is that Jesus keeps us. We belong to him. And so... John's review or reminder is the power. We know the certainty of God's power to overcome sin in our daily life. But notice a second affirmation, a second certainty, and that's the word position. We know the certainty of our position. Verse 19, we know, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. As I said, John just kind of kind of repeats himself. Back in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, he's not talking about being anti-creation or anything. He's really talking about the philosophy, the culture, the, the mindset of the world that is, and he's, we've looked at that. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world, the value system of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So our position is our standing before God. That's who we are before God. Our position, our standing right now, our status now as believers. Who I am in Christ. That's why it doesn't have anything to do with whether you feel like it. It's it's what has Christ done? What has Christ accomplished? And now, who am I in Christ? Christ. And one of the things that John has done continually is he's always, uh, throughout this First uh, uh, John, he, he's constantly contrasting that between believers and unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. Give you some examples. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay, so there's us, and the world does not know him. So you have that, verse 13. He said, do not be surprised, brothers, okay, that the world hates you. You got brothers, and then you got the world that hates you. Verse 4 of chapter 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You've got you from God, and it's overcoming, and then you've got the evil, that which is in the world. You see the contrast. Uh, verse four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. They, they are from the world. They speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That's that group. And then he says, as we've read, everyone in chapter 5, verse 4 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Notice that John, it's it's an either or. 
You're either in the world or you're of us. And when he says of us, you mean the household of faith. He doesn't have, listen, he doesn't have a middle category. He doesn't have some type of spiritual purgatory, if you will, all right? I'm not talking about the con. I'm just saying there's no middle ground. Well, they're kind of half and half. He said, there's no, no, you're either, and Jesus even, didn't Jesus say something like, if you're not for me? What did he say? Well, that just doesn't seem right. That just goes against our pluralistic sensibilities of our culture. Listen, Jesus said, don't be surprised if they persecuted when they persecute you because they hated me and persecuted me. Why? Because he said things like that. If you're not for me, you're against me. You see, when the church begins to act prophetically, and I'm not talking about going and making a bunch of crazy predictions on YouTube. I'm talking about when the church speaks the word of God into the godless culture, do not be shocked if they come after us. Don't be shocked. Even John said the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit was alive and well in John's day, and it's alive and well in our day as well. He says there's no middle category of so-called believers who've got one foot in the value system in the culture and the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. In verse 10 of chapter 3, he said, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Do you see that? Two different groups. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And the one who does not love his brother. So there is a distinguishing of whether you are of God and separated from the evil world system. And, and, and if you are of the world, that means you are tied to the values of the culture and you're not tied to the truth of God. He makes that clear distinction. Why, do I, why, why does he bring it out and why am I bringing it out? Is because, again, you need to make sure that your salvation is anchored on the truth of who of what God says and not whether you've got some little you know religious thoughts and feelings that you just like religious inspirational things but you refuse to bow the knee to the Christ of scripture you refuse to submit you know we talk about Jesus is lord he is lord he is Lord. Really? You know what Lord means? He's president, CEO, owner. That means he's the boss. And when the Bible uses the word that we are servants, doulos, that sounds real nice, servants. That's like, you know, we think of a butler. But literally, it means that we are slaves. That's literally what the word means, slaves to Christ. Are you a slave to Christ. You see, like marriage, you're either married or you're not. I, I've met people, and I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here. I'll just leave that between you and the Lord. Say, are you married? Well, we are in our eyes. Okay. Oh, God. 
I'm not touching that. They don't, you don't, don't pay me enough to do, do to get into that. But look, you're either married, you're not married until you say, I do. And the preacher says, you did. Until that takes place, you're not married. There's not, well, we're sort of married. Yeah? Husbands, run that out on your wife and see how that works. I panicked when she was gone because my hands were drying. I was putting this lotion on, and my ring just flew off somewhere in the bedroom. And at 11.30 at night, I've got my phone. The dog's like, look at me. What are you? I'm looking for that ring because I better get that ring before she gets home. Man, that thing, I couldn't find that thing. Now I was panicking. almost called Austin. Get over here. I'm in trouble. Look at verse 19. John says, another part of this, he says he describes that the whole world Remember again, he's contrasting. He said the whole world, which we are as believers, we're not part of, is lying in the power or the arms of the evil one. That's what the ESV says. Lies in the power of the evil one. The NIV uh, says under the control of the evil one. The New King James says under the sway. I, I think to me that conveys a, a better, under the sway of the, of the wicked one. You see, the picture that John gives here is not of frantic captives desperately trying to escape a depraved tyrant. Rather, the the picture is, is people who are lying quietly under the evil influence who are oblivious to the tragic plight that they are under. You see, because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, You can wear the Life is Good t-shirts all the while being oblivious to the path toward the abyss that you're heading. Unbelievers are spiritually sleeping, anesthetized, peacefully peacefully lulled in the arms of the God of this age. Now remember, he He is not the ultimate God of this age. God has supreme sovereign control. But again, I go back to the way the New King James says that unbelievers lie in sway persuaded. You see, that's why the Bible says, take on the mind of Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And when you are constantly hooking yourself up to the fire hydrant of the news and the value system of the entertainment world, and you're just sucking all that in, and then you wonder why you are spiritually lifeless, Christian, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. You're allowing yourself to be under the sway. You see, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. But that is not the picture of those who are in Christ, those who are the children of God. He says, 
we know, verse 19, we know that we are from God. And he contrasts the believers who are of God. This means that Christ, according to Galatians 1.4, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We have been delivered from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Uh, Christ, according to Colossians 1, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Look at this. Who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. When I was doing the Colossians study online last summer, we talked about that. And it, it, it is a picture like, do you remember uh, uh, reading or seeing uh, the documentaries of when the Allied American troops uh, discovered the concentration camps that were in Germany and Poland and different parts, and they would liberate them. They would transfer them from one dominion to another dominion. There was a picture of rescue from slavery, rescue from a dominion that was death, all right? That's the picture of what Christ has done. But he says that we know, verse 19, he says, but you know, but I want to say, do we really know? As Christians, do we know this? Because when you look at surveys, it doesn't seem that by surveys of people who claim to be Christian and those who say they are not, it doesn't seem to be a huge difference in how we live our life. And we don't wonder why our neighbors and friends and family doesn't take us seriously. Do you know this? That's what John is wanting us to do. He's wanting us to know, without a doubt. Is there a fundamental difference? Listen to me. Don't lull out on me. Is there a fundamental difference between your priorities and goals and those of your non-Christian, unbelieving neighbors and friends? Is there really a difference? Are your priorities different? Are you living for God and His agenda? Can you say that what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, that you say, yes, I am doing that. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Yes, that is where my life is moving and guiding. Yes, imperfectly. Yes, stumble. But yes, that's, that's the trajectory of my life. As a third affirmation, and that is the word perception. We know the certainty of our perception. Perception is what we, what we understand, what we, what we know, what we experience, what is understood. It's, it's perceived truth That's, that we now know, perception, we, we know. And really, this might be the, the most important of these because you remember... We talked about this early on. John, in his writing of this letter, what precipitated it was that he is writing those who, many that were formerly in the church that are now have left, and they're peddling false teaching and false doctrine, and that has brought a lot of confusion to the church, like it would any church. And so part of this false teaching and this false doctrine Verse 20 really strikes at the heart of this confusion uh, to the believers that are hearing this letter both then and now. You see, false teachers, all right, look up. 
False teachers always have, and I don't care whether they claim to be Christian false teachers or just out and out, you know, some kind of cult false teachers. They all have a trait that they want you to buy into the idea that they alone possess unique knowledge and truth to God. I mean, some of the things that we're more familiar with, whether it's Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Christian science or whether it's some of the, you know, and again, some of the newer ones we don't even know because all they need now is a website and a YouTube channel and you got people checking it out, buying into it. And then there's a whole host of others that are more subtle, but it all comes down that And you know what? And the reason I said that there are some that I would even put, and I use this term very loosely, within the Christian camp that that border and fall into almost a cultish way in the way that because they they would they 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 emphasize that if you leave our group, you know what, you don't know if we can don't know if you're gonna have the protection of God because God has given to us this unique perspective. Only we, only Pastor Tim. <laughs> and you know, when you hear somebody, that's why, you know, Wednesday, man, we solved a lot of issues on Wednesday. I wish y'all were here. We solved a lot of stuff, but we can't tell you about it. But... Um, But that's why we have to be careful. And some of us have a background where thus saith the Lord was used very trivially, very loosely. Think about it. You are saying the voice and will of God is saying through me this. Really? Really? Don't think so. I don't think God's saying all that stuff that he's saying on YouTube. Everybody makes these false claims. And then they're proven to be fools. And the people that follow them, and by the way, who, you know, send me emails and stuff of, these, of this nonsense, it just proves to make Christians look stupid and foolish. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, and I won't get into that. But, but and, as, and I've brought this point up before. You know, Satan has no new tools. That's why the Bible says we, we're well aware of his schemes. Because you remember in the garden what his modus operandi was with Eve? First of all, he undermined the word of God. Did God, did God really say that? You sure you heard right? Because he knows that once you partake of that tree, Eve, he knows you're going to be like him and he can't trust him. He knows you're going to have knowledge like he would have, that he has, and it'll be unique. And he, he, he's kind of jealous and, and petty, and he doesn't want you to have this. So, Eve, you, you, you partake of this because your eyes will be open. You'll have understanding that is unique that, that, that nobody else will have. Sounds like a cult the way they think, right? Somebody gave me in the... In the hills of Palmyra, New York, out in the woods, discovered these golden tablets that were shown to me by an angel. If you know anything about Mormonism, that's, that's the whole foundation of what they believe. 
All right, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given to us understanding. You see, Christians, He's given us understanding. Why? Back to what He says, the Holy Spirit abides in us. The Spirit of God is confirming not only that we belong to Him, but confirming and affirming truth so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. Sounds like a lot of certainty in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. A couple of things, real quick, of, of how Jesus has come into this world to give us true knowledge, understanding, our, how our perception, our perception of the knowledge of God, the first part of verse 20. Jesus has brought us the capacity of knowing God. Look at verse uh, in... in um, uh, no, where am I? Well, remember what Jesus said in John 3, 3? That we have to have this unveiling before we can understand God. That's why regeneration precedes faith. That's why being born again, having awakened from your dead spiritual self is necessary before you can have any perception. Jesus said, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless there's regeneration, they can't even see. They can't even begin to determine. And he says the word true there, back in verse 20, is the word that truth refers to that which is authentic, that which is reliable. It is the ultimate reality. And as I said, there was a lot of these false teachers that were contending that they could present to you truth apart from any of this, this narrow-minded approach and message that they could reveal and give you knowledge of God. And John says the only way you're going to know God is if Jesus Christ reveals him to you. Remember what he told Philip? Hey, Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Jesus Christ brought us the capacity to know God, but not only to know God, but also in the latter part of verse 20, that our perception of the knowledge of God, also our perception of the way of salvation. You see, it isn't just knowing God, it's knowing the way to God, of living in the family of God. He said, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? What is eternal life? Eternal life, that refers to the life that is never-ending that God has given us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, eternal life is contrasted with spiritual death. We have never-ending life that is in Christ. The gift of eternal life to those who believe in Jesus Christ is in Him. You, can't ha you cannot have this, e this life in God, this eternal life, apart from Christ. But eternal life is more than just a never-ending, perpetual life. We think of eternal life. I'm going to go and lay on a cloud and play a harp for all eternity. That sounds boring, terrible. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't think that's what is involved there. But see, the idea 
of the word eternal in the New Testament isn't so much focused upon uh, just the quantity of this life, but the quality of this life. I mentioned John 10.10. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and more abundantly, the life, this eternal life, is life that we can experience right now. That right now, I love R.C. Sproul's quote, right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. We're, We're just getting a little head start on this eternity thing. You see, death is just a transition from one one place to another. And for the believer, that transition is sweet and beautiful, the Bible says. How do you measure eternity? How long is it? When does it begin? You can't. Any more than you can measure God. But the Bible says that it is our, listen, it is our current possession. John 3.36, look at this. Whoever believes in the Son has has, present tense, eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son, there's John again contrasting the two, does not see life. You see, the believer has right now, right now, as Christians, we are living in advance this eternal life. We experience, yes, Paul said, we look through the glass you know, remember what it says? We look through the glass dimly, you know, it, we can't focus exactly. But one day, what we know in part now, we will one day know what? Fully, completely. But yet we get, we're getting a little taste of experiencing God, of worshiping God, of knowing God, of God's work in my life. Jesus said in John six forty seven, truly, truly, that means take it to the bank. I say to you, I think that's the message translation. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And, again, and to just round it out, the Bible is very consistent that it links eternal life with the person of Jesus Christ. There is no life apart from knowing Christ. That's why if you are not a Christian, I didn't say, are you a member of a church? Are you religious? Do you watch Christian TV? I'm not saying any of that. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know with a certainty, not based on how you, but you know a certainty based upon the record of the Word of God that were were you to die right now, you have the confidence based upon what Christ has done for you that you would be forever with Him. And if He were to ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven? On what basis? Well, hey, I was in church when you got me. Doesn't that count for something? Why should I let you into my heaven? If your answer is any other than because Jesus Christ paid completely for my sins. And my hope and my life is in Christ and Christ alone. And without him, I have no basis. No basis without Jesus Christ. Not, well, you know, I did this, I did that. No, none of that will make any difference. I was reading uh, in 1994, Northwest Airlines. I ain't sure if they're around anymore. 
They did something in 1994 I thought was interesting. They offered some unusual round-trip tickets to kind of gin up advertisement and marketing. For $59, they offered you could buy a mystery fare ticket that provided a one-day trip to an undisclosed American city. $59. Buyers didn't find out where they were heading until they arrived at the airport the day of the flight. Can you believe they had people coming out of droves to do this? They had a lot of takers. In Indianapolis, you guys from Indianapolis, 1,500 people crowded the airline counter to buy the mystery fare tickets that were sold on a first-come, first-served basis. But, you know, when they found out their destination, not every one of them was thrilled, you know, thinking a mystery destination. You know, if you're in Indianapolis, maybe Orlando, Tampa, you know, maybe somewhere exciting. One buyer, the article said, was uh, hoping for New Orleans, but found out he had a ticket for Minneapolis. And he was walking through the airport terminal yelling, I have one ticket to the Mall of America. I'll trade it for anything. Listen, mystery fare tickets may be fun and exciting to do, but the last thing you want is when you die to have a mystery destination. You want to know that you know that you know that you know. Amen? There is no mystery destination for the child of God that we know with certainty that we belong to Him now, tomorrow, and forever. And if you don't have that surety, why not just pray and say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Give me. And if I don't have that, if I, if I know I'm a Christian, but I just don't have that assurance, give me the assurance of your Holy Spirit. God, get me on the path where I'm, where I'm aligning myself with those things that are pleasing you. I, 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 I do a lot of things that just distract me from maintaining that assurance that your Holy Spirit provides. And you know what? God will do it. God will do it. Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning.